to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) So apparently Dean is a little too nervous to introduce this podcast, so I will do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back, Dean. Why the fuck are you so nervous? I'm not nervous. I'm incapable. (laughs) For all the clients who uh, entrust Dean with their very, very serious goals, the man's not even capable of introducing a podcast. How are you capable of giving people pro cards? Well, I mean, I don't give them because I don't pay people off. Well, no, you don't give them. Hey, hot to topic. Paying people off for pro cards. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm incapable because I always want to start off with the same, hey, man, how are you? And I'm used to doing that on check-in calls and it just, I get tongue-tied and then my brain just goes. I have a feeling like this is going to be a podcast with one host today. Mm, I'm a passenger. <laughs> we'll see. We'll Both see in professional goes. and in personal life. <laughs> I just put my little pinky in your, in your uh, pocket and I follow you around. You're exhausting. I'm your jail bitch. <laughs> As my jail bitch, I would like you to make me dinner tonight. Maybe a foot rub. I actually looked up dinner tonight for us. Oh, where are we going? Nothing seemed that interesting. See this guy. Fucking exhausting. (laughs) Uh, Today, we are talking about what is the difference between someone that is brain damaged like Dean and someone that isn't brain damaged like me. No, Dean's like, you're a very smart guy. For some reason, you just can't introduce a podcast and that's okay. Uh, We're talking about what's the difference between... A personal trainer, a consultant, an educator, educator and a coach. Exactly. And the reason we wanted to talk about this today is because as people who are and have been in the industry for over a decade, we clearly understand the roles uh, and the tasks and the skills needed within each role. But we can see that some people in the industry themselves and definitely most consumers, so like clients of these people, don't get the difference. And this is a problem because that means that when uh, practitioners are working outside of their scope of practice, like when a PT is sort of taking on the role as a coach, for example, they don't have the, um, the education and the experience to actually go ahead and do that, then the clients aren't getting a very good service. And also clients are putting pressure on their PT or educator or consultant or coach to do things outside of the scope of practice, which, yeah. yeah, I was going to say similarly, clients set themselves up for failure with incorrect expectations of the people that they hire. Mm. You know, like how often do you have somebody that might even message Flex and be like, I'd like a a diet, please, and this. And it's like, "Um, that's a coaching consideration. And you're asking, you're you're requesting this as if it's a consultation. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. So before we get there, though, we thought we'd give you a personal update. What is going on with us? We're in Essex. We are in That's Essex. not how you say Essex. You said you said Essex like you're a New Zealander. I did. That's <laughs> what I was going for, though. Were you? Yeah, I'm a Kiwi in Essex. Dean, give us your best Essex accent. I don't know it. Uh, no, I haven't watched enough Geordie Shaw. Okay. Go on, then. <laughs> well, I, I, I nailed a leprechaun Irish accent this morning, according to Rory, my client. I would like to hear it. So top of the morning to you. Okay, that's great. I wasn't even sure if it was offensive. I just went for it. Oh, I wish I had my soundboard up. I'd give you the clap. <laughs> Is it too late? Can I get it? Yeah, but I will say, you know what? Being in the gym here mm-hmm. has really made me notice the Essex accent, especially in the guys. They're so like, I want to say like ball in the mouth, can't get their tongue around their words kind of thing. Oh, fuck, I'm not like that. Like that. Like, and they're rough in the gym. It's been awesome. Oh, although when, because so we're in Essex now, as we mentioned, we just spent a bit of time in London as well. And we went to this gym. We can, we can name names. Who cares? What was the gym called? In London? Yeah. Oh, Muscle muscle Works. works, Muscle Works. I was on a bench and there was a bench either side of me and the two guys on the benches either side of me decided to brawl with me in the middle so speaking of rough, that was the roughest gym I've ever been to. And not just because I was in the middle of a gym brawl. There were like dudes training with their shirts off and like everyone was staunching people. It was an awesome gym though. It was, yeah, look, it had great equipment and yeah. a good vibe. I think a vibe counts for a lot. It was very male bodybuilder dominant. So what pissed me off is, I'll just lower my voice so I sound less angry, but just know 
I am furious. Um, you know, in the fitness industry and the world in general, men are, um, you know, rewarded for their strength and their ability and whatever, and women are just commonly reduced to their sexuality. It is no different in the gym, even the muscle works gym, even the gym we're training at in Essex. Yeah posters of dudes um you know with their trophies and then there's like women in lingerie i was like why does she need to be in stockings and bent over like what about a stage photo of her with her I mean, trophy how else are we supposed to know if the pre-workout works fuck's sake guys <laughs> fuck's sake um okay i just feel like i've derailed myself with my my general <laughs> feminist anger um, yeah so we, we're hmm. currently in london and we no, still we're not have, no we're well, currently in essex well yeah okay that's true we were in London. We are in Essex. We'll be back in London in like three days. Mm-hmm. And we're there for a week. Yep. And then we're off to become Draculas. We're going to Romania. Mm-hmm. We'll be there for five weeks, right? Yeah, something like that. We're going to stay in Bucharest, which is the capital, a four-hour drive from Transylvania. I believe so. That's what I looked up the other day. Yeah. Because we were thinking we could do Halloween in Transylvania. That would be so cool. We, we arrive um, in Romania, Bucharest, the 17th of October, which is like less than two weeks before uh, mm. Halloween. I don't even know when it is. But... I think Halloween is the last day of October. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And then we're there all the way through to the uh, IFBB Romania Pro Show, where our flex client Alex Connors will be jumping back up on the classic division. That would be super cool. I love Alex. I haven't seen him compete since he was an amateur. We competed the same year, actually, 2018 as an amateur. That's the last time I saw him compete. Didn't actually see him compete. Didn't watch. Didn't you watch? No, I was busy getting pumped. (laughs) Um, No, I saw bits and pieces. And then uh, he's been a client ever since. Mm-hmm. we've done a pro show debut this year mm-hmm. and now this will be the redemption show because we weren't happy with the, the showing of the last one pretty good but not as good as Alex. okay and now we're going to get to see him live in romania which is super fucking cool i'm really excited i'm less invested in bodybuilding as dean is obviously i'm not a prep coach um but i'm invested in alex i love alex just as a human so it'll be so fun to see you show and hang out with him and it might be his last show in romania so maybe yes. we'll see him relax and unwind after or he might do the one in tunisia tunisia i forgot the name yeah. of the country so you go spain romania then potentially tunisia mm. the romania pro show is going to be exciting though because there's potentially a couple of big names from other federations trying to get their pro cards the week before, then coming into the Romania pro to then get their qualification for the Olympia. Okay. Um, so there's a whole lot of hype around that show. Cool. Uh, and there also might be some really big names coming, trying to get the last ticket to the Olympia. So the MC, will he be speaking in English or Romanian? I'm going to assume English because the head judge will probably be American. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And most of the competitors, well, yeah, fuck, I don't, I don't actually know. When I went to Portugal, it was all English. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. You know how it is in this world. We appeal to the English-speaking human. Yeah. You know, apparently. We go to name country that doesn't speak English and... Everyone speaks English. How dare they not speak English to us? <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly they do. And if they don't speak English, it's a bit odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that we're naive travellers and we expect everyone to speak English. It's Absolutely definitely not, not true. Much. I know if we go to a country, it's our job to speak that language. Yeah. It's just when we move around so much, you can't learn a language in four weeks. You know? That's true. So, yeah, the next time we do one of these... It'll be in Romania. Mm. Actually, the last time that we did a podcast and I said, this is our last podcast in the UK, I think I was wearing this beanie. Where are you, Dean? Yeah, we're in London. Yeah, so we spent the beginning of the year in the UK. Then it was Croatia, Portugal, Turkey. And we're back um, for the last time for the year because then it's Bucharest, then Budapest for Christmas and New Year's, and then we're thinking Costa Rica, then Mm. Italy, then Portugal again. But anyways... Enough about us. How are you guys? Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay. This is how I speak to dogs. I pretend like they answer me and I pretend that they say like really vulgar things. I was like, oh, in the bum, really? I just, oh. <laughs> well, I mean, the current dog that we are looking after, we're currently pet sitting actually in Essex. We are. That dog has some bum problems. Yeah. So we started. Not, I don't know if it's worth the story, <laughs> but he has some bum problems. <laughs> And I've had to attend uh, to his bum problems. And I think that's the reason why he hates me. And tried to bite me a few times. <laughs> so now I'm the bummer tender. So now, yeah, exactly. And he loves it. He might be gay. He might be gay. But we're okay with that. We accept everyone, don't we? We do. His Nothing name's Fluffy that. and he's got a diamond on his necklace. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely a gay dog. Um, okay, so let's get to it, shall we, Dean? <laughs> what is the difference? My notes have decided to minimise. So I'm going to be squinting throughout this podcast. <laughs> I can't figure out how to get them back up. I'm going to say swipe right. 
Oh, I got it. Woo! Mm. All right, what's the difference? So we're going to, again, um, talk about the difference between personal trainers, educators, consultants, and a coach. So that as uh, practitioners yourself, if you're listening and you're a PT, we can get clearer on the scope of practice, um, what that job entails, what skills you need to have, what you should be focusing on. And also as the client, you know what to expect so that you don't put unrealistic expectations on your, I'm going to use the word practitioner, which I think is just Mm. like an umbrella term for whoever your fitness professional is. Or on yourself for that matter. Hey. I said, or on themselves for that matter. Like their expectations are set inappropriately they may also be disappointed then with the the service they get but they may not be paying for the right service yeah that's true so personal trainers they focus mainly on exercise and it's in the name personal trainer some people say oh i'm going to a group personal training session (laughs) what so you're going to group training maybe you're paying personal training prices so personal training one-on-one usually um face-to-face And they don't focus on nutrition. They don't focus on mental health. They focus on exercise, unless your personal trainer has a separate um, qualification for nutrition. That would also be a separate service though. So the same person can give nutrition as well, but that would be an entirely separate service. Mm. Um, And so pre-screening Dean, just really quickly, what might a personal trainer want to do in like a conversation before personal training starts? there's going to be probably some general health checks, mm-hmm. blood pressure, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, they may be looking to ask them what are their physical or performance-based goals or mm-hmm. functional-based goals because that's what they're there to see them for. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Any particular like contraindications they may have with exercise, injuries? Yeah. Medical conditions. Medical conditions. Yeah. Um, mainly centred around exercise prescription. Yeah. Um, it's also a good opportunity for the coach to figure out if the person has realistic expectations, like they might get in there and be like, yeah, I've never lifted weights before. I wonder if I can set an Australian record by the end of the year. <laughs> um, and that that would be the case for a coach as well, who does pre-screenings to figure out what the person's goals are and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Cool. So communication skills, I would say as a personal trainer, they need to be high because not only do they need to communicate complicated things to a client in a simple way they also need to be able to listen to what the client says and actually interpret that because as a personal trainer myself previously not now I do coaching now um, I know that people might come in and say I want to get really fit that's just like such a generic term and so then you ask what does fitness mean to you most of the time it means I want to look good naked I want to have more confidence I want to feel strong yeah I want to be able to Like maybe there might be an element of actual cardiovascular fitness in there, but often it's just something entirely different. Like I want to get lean and they just like fling the fitness term around. Mm -hmm. So good listening skills are also important. So dig deeper and without making the person feel stupid, you wouldn't be like, okay, so you don't mean fitness at all. You mean you want to get lean. Why didn't you just say that? Like there's so much in communication, so many elements to it. And I think a personal trainer needs to have all of them. Yeah. They need to learn how to refine the goal. Mm. even with otherwise unrefined language, like you just mentioned, mm. like you said, fitness. Like, Because if they don't do this, then one, the exercise prescription potentially is not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the goal is likely not going to be achieved because the goal is not specific. Mm. So how are we supposed to, you know, manage success at the end of that as a personal trainer if you don't have the, the communication capacity to refine their goals based on the communication you have with them? Yeah, even things like if someone says, I want to get really strong stomach, And then, you know, you ask questions like why and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, because you want to have a lean stomach that you feel comfortable in a bikini. And it's like, oh, actually, are you aware that it's not necessarily a problem with how much muscle you have on your stomach? It's about that the the fat in the area is excessive. And so maybe the focus needs to be on nutrition. Why don't we work alongside a nutritionist as well? I know a person, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And refer. Critical segue. To? To the, well, we've been talking briefly, not briefly, we kind of mentioned that, you know, outside of your scope kind of thing. Uh-huh. And that if you don't have the communication skills to figure out that they are looking for fat loss and you know that you're certi- you know, you're not certified to discuss nutrition that you have to then refer accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's You can a- still prescribe exercise because that's going to be important too. Yeah. But the client needs to understand that you're there to communicate and help them do the exercise prescription that you have mm. as opposed to the nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, all right. <clears throat> so communication skills high, organizational skills, I would say moderate high. There's still a fair amount a PT needs to organize, but in comparison to some other roles that we'll discuss later, we're going to go moderate mm -hmm. to high. Education level, um, like the necessary education level is very low, but what we're talking about here is what makes a good PT. Uh, you know, people can become a personal trainer after I think as little as four weeks now. Mm. They can do like some online course. And so, but I'm going to say a good personal trainer, moderate is fine so long as the education is ongoing because there's so much to know and we evolve over time. And then the exercise, ex I was going to say the exercise, but the education needs to be specific to more so things along the lines of anatomy, exercise prescription, biomechanics, mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Not just any education mm. level. Maybe even injury prevention, that kind of thing. Yeah. Movement based. So different countries have different requirements and standards, but as a like former practicing personal trainer in Australia, I know that uh, most gyms need you to be a member of Fitness Australia. And in order to be a member of Fitness Australia, you have to be insured. Um, and in order to maintain your insurance, you need to get something called CECs, Continuing Educational Credits. So for every little course you do uh, to continue your education, which I think is something that every practitioner should be encouraged to do, they need to continue to do courses. So one course might be 20 points and that'll be a huge course and that's all you need to do. Or you could do like one and two point courses, but you need to do like lots and lots of them to build up um, however many you need to maintain your insurance and therefore your, um, your membership to Fitness mm -hmm. Australia. So usually it's sort of baked into the plan, but because personal trainers are not always working for gyms that have uh, these boxes that need ticked, Maybe they're working in an outdoor gym or they're doing Zoom sessions or I don't know, maybe their gym just isn't very well regulated. Someone can just walk in and call themselves a personal trainer. Um, maybe they haven't even done the course. Maybe they're like, what? I've lifted weights for five years. Therefore, I'm a PT. Like, okay, bro, how long have you eaten food for? Are you a nutritionist? Like, <laughs> have you had a flu before? Does that make you a doctor? So, yeah. Cool. It's true. People can do that. That's Have I been ranting? Scary, that's some scary shit. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. Now we're going to talk about the role of an educator. And to make this practical, you might think, I don't know, a nutrition educator, for example, or um, let's call it like an exercise educator. How would an exercise educator be different from a personal trainer? Well, they're there to educate someone. They don't necessarily hold one-on-one -on -one sessions. They don't do pre-screenings to figure out what exactly your needs are. They know a topic and they teach it to you. Information only. Information only. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So communication skills, I'm going to say conditionally high mm. uh, because they don't necessarily need to be a good listener. They don't need to have interpretation skills. They don't need to necessarily ask the right questions. They just need to have good communication in the sense that they really understand what they're teaching you so that they can put this complicated concept simply for people to understand. Yep. That's about it. Yeah. Organizational skills, low, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, once they've, assuming if the education is just being provided on the spot and or even pre-recorded, pre there's a moderate amount of organization, but it's it's got nothing to do with the client like or nothing to do with the person who's watching. No, no. It's organization for their own their own stuff. stuff. I know some educators that uh, really take advantage of their organizational skills because they have books and they have to organize seminars and all the logistics around that. Uh, but it's it's not necessary. Some educators just record stuff. It's also not necessarily pertinent to their skills as the educator. It's a separate thing, the administration. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'd say moderate. Education level, conditionally high. Yeah, I was going to say conditionally high to that specific topic. Absolutely mm. important and paramount that that is. But to other things and to be as well-rounded, you know, across, like if you take a, a comparison to the personal trainer, they need to be well-rounded in their biomechanical understanding of movement. Mm. Uh, and that's going to take multiple different avenues of education for them to go through. Mm. Whereas the educator of X topic really only has to be really good at that. Mm. That one thing, yeah. exactly. It doesn't even necessarily require context. It just needs to be, this is the information necessary for this particular mm. piece of information I'm providing. I um, took up the services of a educator and great teacher. 
clear and what he was teaching, um, I got a lot out of it. He ended up doing some coaching. Mm. One out of 10. Absolutely terrible. Great educator. And education is part of the coaching role. Mm. But there's so much more. Um, so we shouldn't assume that good educators will become good coaches or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And this is like really quite common probably in today's society too, where education on platforms such as Instagram is so popular mm. and it can look really nice and look really pretty and well done and organized well and mm. all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the actual personable coaching experience that we'll talk about later on, rubbish. Non-existent, not even rubbish. Honestly, like Dean and I um, are privy to like some behind the scenes stuff within the industry that I think a lot of you guys might not be. And we know some very polished, popular influencers on Instagram that put out like some pretty good educational content. But when you get to know how they coach their clients, abysmal. Like, or how they prescribe to the clients. Oh man, embarrassing. Like, dude, you still just send messages on WhatsApp. Like mm. you don't even have a platform to gather information so you can assess it. Like what? Mm-hmm. Like, cool. Like enjoy that next reel you're putting together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, okay. So the role of an educator is just to educate very different to a personal trainer. There might be an element of education within personal training, but that's just an element, not the main role. Now we're going to look at a consultant. A consultant listens to somebody's problem and provides expert advice to help solve that problem. Mm. That's where it stops. One might call that a problem solver. One might call that a problem solver. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> now, a consultant hosts consultations. It's not necessarily, or usually it's not um, ongoing. So when you hire a coach, usually you do like weekly check-ins, for example, and you would, you know, set that person up and then next week you hear back from them, the next week you hear back from them, the next week you hear back from them, more on that next. Mm. But a consultant listens to the problem, gives expert advice, that's it. They don't have that feedback loop necessarily to hear how that person went. Did that solve the problem actually? What were the barriers in your way of putting mm. my advice into practice? So, yeah, because the feedback loop is missing there in comparison to someone like a um, coach, even a personal trainer, they don't have the opportunity to sharpen their skills as well from a practical perspective. Yeah. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, given that they are problem solvers, they're, like you said, they're listening and then they're giving you the opportunity to implement based on their feedback. Mm, and it's all theoretical um, advice. And, and the consultation process is, tech, is typically intermittent. Mm-hmm. It's not at any kind of formal frequency. Um, not collecting data. Not even formalizing in regards to data collection. It's often dependent on the client providing the information. So as a client, you also need to be a really good communicator in what you're trying to achieve with a consultant. Um, whereas the, because otherwise, whereas the coach may be able to tease some things out of you, mm. the consultant may do that too, but obviously time is limited. They don't know anything about you. You really have to supply a, a, an excessive amount of information or not even excessive. It's probably clear. a clear amount of it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of saying, I want to get fit. I want to lose weight. Be like, mm. I want to lift. I want to do a hundred kilo deadlift by the end of the year. Like yeah. be specific. Yeah. I think a, yeah. Uh, a client who is going to do well with a consultant is somebody who's already coming to that consultant with some prior information, prior knowledge, prior experience. Doesn't need their hand held, doesn't need encouragement. You yeah. can just go ahead and do the thing. Typically for someone who we might classify as more advanced. Yeah. At least in their knowledge and understanding of what they're talking to the consultant about. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so fourth and finally, we're going to talk about the coach. Who is the coach? What do they do? How is this different from a personal trainer, a consultant, or an educator? So... A good coach, we're not talking about what coaches do, we're talking about a good coach or normatively what they ought to do, will do pre-consultation information gathering. So that might, again, like the PT, be like medical conditions, injuries, goals, timeframe. Yeah, there's going to be a, a formal, it should technically be a formal um, questionnaire. questionnaire of some description. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why are we doing a pre-consult information gathering? Because that then gives us the opportunity to build off that in our actual consultation to then have communication with that client. Mm. Yeah, also because everybody's time is precious. Um, We don't want to be sitting in a consult being like, okay, what is your date of birth? What are your medical (laughs) conditions? 
Uh, it just takes time that doesn't need to be taken, you know, that could have been spent previously. So when it gets to the consult, like Dean said, we can build on it. We can build rapport. We can save time for them to ask questions. We can set expectations, talk about start dates, things like that. Yeah, try and determine potential roadblocks that have been experienced beforehand so that you can get hit the ball, hit the ground running. Yeah, yeah. Even do things like assess readiness, does the client have a bunch of social events that they're just like not willing to not get smashed at? Do they have really low confidence in their ability that they can actually follow through with something? So this is a lot you can do in the consultation outside of information gathering. Mm -hmm. It's a time waster. Do yeah. it beforehand. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when we actually get to coaching, it doesn't look like what a personal trainer would do. You're not with them for one hour and then send them on their way with you know, maybe a program that they can follow outside of that. With coaching, you're setting up more lifestyle factors. So you, know, you should, as a client, be set up with a folder that contains some instructions. It might, might be a meal plan. It might be boundaries around nutrition. It might be specific goals, like include this much protein in each meal. Like It could look like many things, mm. but you should be set up with a plan. Uh, you might also be set up with a training program as well, However, I do, tell me if you disagree, Dean, I do think that somebody who's working with training online should have face-to-face -face personal training experience. I would agree in the sense that they are likely going to be better at communicating cues in a clear and concise, precise manner. Because of practice? Because of practice and at least understanding that everybody, although we're one and the same, don't move one and the same to a certain degree. Okay. Um, and if you don't have that experience and you think that the textbook says X and you can just prescribe based on this, you're probably going to come unstuck really quickly. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's highly advantageous. It's really helpful. Um, and I think this is the difference between the coach and those other three people, even like just to, to hit this head on is that typically the coach will have a more well-rounded understanding of all facets. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They may not necessarily be an expert in one, like the educator or the consultant, but they likely will be well-rounded or should be if they want to classify them as a coach across the nutrition space, across the training space in this instance. Well, some people else. can just be nutrition coaches or yeah, they just be. be training coaches. Yeah. Like you don't have to know. But okay. So take the training one out. If they're just a nutrition coach, they're also likely going to have to understand some of the soft skills that you've spoken about before in regards to like supporting services for understanding motivations and yeah. you know, all those things. So that's not just nutrition. Mm, okay, so when I say like a good nutrition coach, I'm not talking about someone that just understands the hard skills and just mm. understands like biology or chemistry or whatever. I'm talking about someone that gets that stuff, but also understands what we can classify as soft skills mm. that you just mentioned, understands how to help their clients put that into practice. What's not overwhelming, how to address confidence issues, how, you know, mm. how to make it enjoyable for them, listen to what the client says the problems are and help them find solutions. You're not telling them what the solutions are. You're helping them find solutions. So I agree with that, but I would think, well, I believed that to be encompassing of a nutrition coach already. Yeah. I yeah. think yeah, a nutrition coach, yes, not a nutrition consultant, for example. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you know. yeah. Sorry, we just lost our, our camera for a sec. We're we back. Hello. Mm. Mm. Okay. So the reason that I'm saying that I think it's, very helpful for someone to have personal training experience before they move online and start doing PT with clients online. It's because you pick up certain things. Like I know how to do, I don't know, any sort of row or pull down just fine. But as a PT, you realize someone comes in and they start like, as their elbows come down, they, towards their ribs, they start like leaning forward and it's mm. all sort of like biceps and abs mm. and there's no actual protraction going the on. Old ab, lap, pull down crunch. Yeah. And um, you prescribe someone a leg press and they're, oh, I'm so strong on this. And you're like, bro, those were calf raises. Mm -hmm. Like your range of motion is shit. But uh, so I think as a PT, when you have experience with a whole range of people, you understand where the common problems are and you know what to look for. You know that if someone's new and you put them on a leg press, for example, assuming they don't have crazy blood pressure or any issues why you wouldn't do that, ask for a video. Um, you know, make it from the side angle. You don't want it from the back. You don't want it from the front. That's a super awkward angle for leg press, isn't it? <laughs> you want it from the side. So you, you get this stuff as a personal trainer. Um, and so, you know, if you're a coach, 
and you're doing PT stuff with clients online and you don't have PT experience, go train with your friends, go train your mum, go like have a broad experience with lots of different people, mm. beginners, people with injuries, all sorts of things. It's honestly, it's priceless. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the fastest way that you see all these little weird things and quirks and stuff kicking, for sure. Um, one thing I think that was important, though, is a hands-on personal trainer moving into a coaching space, assuming that the coaching is now online, is that the cues that you may use when you have the opportunity to, to touch somebody may not necessarily be the cues you use when trying to verbalize it via video or, mm. or written. So you can't just take one domain of, co of, of personal training and shift it into the coaching space online and think that it works exactly the same. Mm. But I think still having that prior experience helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so there would be uh, pre-consult info gathering, the actual consultation, setting someone up for coaching so they know what to do. Mm. Um, then you would also set the client up with somewhere to put their data. So at Flex Success, for our clients, we split our data up between what we call qualitative data, so subjective things. What do you think you did well this week? What could you have done better? Tell us, uh, you know, I don't know, what you struggled with in particular. Did you have any bloating, things yeah. like that? So these are sort of like sentence questions. Then we've got um, quantitative data. These are more like numbers, uh, maybe even yeses or nos. So it might be morning weight, daily steps, how many serves of fruit they had, for example, things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so when they go ahead and input their data, the coach will go ahead and assess it. They're going to maybe adjust the plan. They might give the client options. So if this happens, then you can do this or this, depending on what's easier for you or what your preference is. Um, they might go ahead and figure out what the knowledge gaps or myths are that's stopping the client from doing something and educate them, myth bust. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just a, a component of coaching. Yeah, but there's typically going to be a formalized checking process. Mm. formalized collection of data mm -hmm. um, a you know formalized assessment of that data from the coach and then giving the client the opportunity to implement with application so tell and us then there's some back and forth okay so tell us about the formal process what might that look like did i not just do that you just said there would be a formal process oh so there would be like tracking things like this qualitative and quantitative data that would come in from the client mm. the coach would sit down assess that provide them with some form of either framework or very specific, um, uh, not rules, but very specific things they need to achieve that week, whether that be through a change in particular nutrition plans or macronutrient targets or exercise, whatever it may be, there'd usually then be an opportunity for the client to come back to the, to the coach, discuss anything the coach asks questions on, and then they would then reintegrate that into the next phase. So there's this ongoing dialogue between the check-in process, the feedback process, and then the implementation process. Mm. So uh, different coaches work different ways. They might have fortnightly check-ins or they might check in every few days or something. At Flex, we typically do it once a week. So if every day the client would input their data into the sheet and then once a week, the coach would assess the whole week's mm. thing. Yeah, like you just mentioned. Um, and then, sorry, yeah, mm -hmm. like you mentioned this too, there's throughout this, there's going to be interwoven opportunities to provide clients with some education on things that are roadblocks in their knowledge that may be inhibiting their potential to continue to progress. Mm, like maybe somebody's tired all the time and therefore their performance is suffering and their appetite is out of control and their mood is out of control. Yeah. And so the education might be on the importance of sleep. Yeah. Or similarly, like every week, one of the questions that they, they write in is, is like, what is your appetite rank out of a one to a 10, 10 being incredibly hungry? And they're mm. like, I'm a 10 every week. Mm. So then you need to unpick and, and unpack why they think they're a 10. Yeah. Maybe we need to what give is them hunger some education actually? about what a hunger actually is. Can we then try and, you know, redirect their understanding of hunger so that they don't find it so difficult then to adhere to a diet that may otherwise um, be perceived as harsh mm. for them specifically? Yeah, maybe they're dealing with actually really strong cravings and hunger isn't the issue. Mm. It's cravings that are the issue and we can tackle that separately. Yeah, or yeah. if this client is not on a nutrition plan 
that's guided by a coach. Like, all right, let's They're just at, on macros. Let's look at your nutrition. Oh, okay, you're eating chocolate bars and cake for, for breakfast and you're wondering why you're hungry by 10 a.m. Yeah. So then we're going to educate them on using volume potentially for, for hunger management. Or lower pa- palatable foods. Yeah. Wow, so that the, was the, a mouthful yeah. for some reason. Palatable. The, the major difference here being between like the consultant and the PT and all these things is we have this opportunity to go back and forth, educate, implement, mm-hmm. um, and, and give clients back some some control over how they're managing their week, but through the guidance of a coach on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And I love this about coaching, the feedback loops that we have, because when we help a client set a plan and we're like, hey, these are the things that I think you should do, kind of taking on the role of a consultant at first, the client will go ahead and do it to the best of their ability and tell you what went wrong. And then you're just constantly making it better. Mm. and like helping them learn about themselves and in the process you're learning about them and then you just make this amazing team so long as you build a space that the client can feel like they can safely fail in because everyone fails everyone fails it's just a matter of who admits it (laughs) and clients can either stay down because they don't feel like they can admit that to you or they can admit it to you and then you can fail forward. You can be like, great, well, next time this happens, what will you do instead? Or what can you do so that this doesn't happen again? And you're just making life easier and easier as failures happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's like this really nice natural transition kind of through some of these coaching, I'm not coaching, some of these like practitioner spaces we talked about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there is the, the initial um, like screening. Then there's the initial consultation. As the consultation happens, you give them things to implement. They go away. You then learn about those things. Then it starts to become a little bit more of like a, a coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. And then the client sort of becomes even a bit more autonomous and they're kind of self-efficient. And this whole process is about sort of taking them through each phase. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, now, as a coach, there are some important things that have been highlighted to me mm-hmm. over the years. And I think that it's worth maybe laying them out. So some coaches might feel threatened by not being able to fill the shoes of everyone. And that is unhelpful to you and it's unhelpful to your client. Now, as a nutrition coach, you should be able to help your clients adjust their nutrition practices. You know, you understand the hard science and the soft skills of how to do that. But you're not a psychologist or a physiotherapist or a mental health specialist or an endocrinologist, stop trying to fix your client's hormones, please. That is like, oh my God, such a complicated topic. You do not know. You are not a fucking endocrinologist. Stop it. Refer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love seeing a coach who I may otherwise perceive to be incredibly smart refer on because it's just a nice reminder always that we can always learn more from other people and that you should be humble. Be humbled in our inability to know everything. It's nothing you did wrong. No, like you didn't go you to physio school. <laughs> you shouldn't really know everything, but no. there is this perception that we should. No, I, I think that it's helpful for a coach uh, because they work more holistically with a client to have their toes dipped in lots of pies to figure out who is the person we should send mm. them to. Um, or, you know, maybe it's an easy fix. Why don't you try this? If it doesn't work, then I'll refer you to a physio. Why don't you try this? If it doesn't work, then maybe you should go and see if depression is a problem and go from Mm. there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You can be a great generalist. Yeah. Yeah. And and you should be. Yeah. Um, so it's not that at the first sign of a problem refer, it's like, well, are there some low hanging fruits some easy things you can try within your scope of practice first, if that doesn't work, maybe refer, um, Another thing is to help your clients prioritize. So a client might come on board and I don't know, Dean might have a client who wants to win a competition, right? And the comp's not for a year, in a year's time and they're going really hard. They're building as much muscle as they can. And then this client's like, oh, bro, I'm going to propose to my missus. I'm going to take her away on a two-month holiday to Europe. We probably won't train in that time. So the client has decided to prioritise a competition in a year's time, which is not a lot of growing time, and also prioritise his relationship for an extended period of time that's going to impact that. So Dean might do something called agenda mapping. So what might that look like? Deciding if they're male or female. No, I'm just... No, not gender mapping, agenda. (laughs) It would be 
basically tracking backwards. So this is one thing that I've learned is that planning and having a clear and concise roadmap for mm -hmm. that client to understand where they're currently at in the directory, to use another like car reference, is really important for them having clear ideas of like when they need to be really on in regards to their accuracy of implementation and then when they can kind of pull it back a little bit. Mm, so it so, might be like after your competition's over, go on the two-month holiday. Yeah, or it would be a discussion at least around the pros and cons of those two priorities and to determine whether or not they're actually both a priority and possible at the same time or simultaneously, you know. So yeah. Uh, but formalising that planning process gives you the opportunity then to, to have a, a, an open conversation about what truly can be achieved mm. as opposed to just going at it week by week and then that two-week thing appears out of nowhere. Oh, no, you definitely need to zoom yeah. out. Mm. Yeah. Um, a common one that lots of coaches listening might be able to relate to is a client that comes on board and they're like, hey, I want to get lean. And then, you know, I don't know, six weeks into an intentional weight loss phase, they're like, I want to get really jacked. <laughs> and you're like, okay, natty female, uh, why don't we focus on one at a time? Because these two things are contradicting. You know, maybe you'll explain to them like, oh, you know what? In some circumstances, you can lose fat and build muscle at the same time. Like if you're overweight or new to weightlifting or something like that, you're neither of the two or, you know, on gear. Um, those scenarios don't apply to you. So if you want to do one of them productively, or if you, yeah, if you want to reach these goals productively, you need to do them separately, yeah. which would you prefer? Because we're always just guiding our clients based on what they say they want. We're never telling them what to do. Yeah, it's not your job to decide what their goal is. No, no. And they might change their mind on what their goal is, and that's okay. Then you just guide them to the next one. But it's important to, you know, keep them remind them of what their goal is and why this new goal uh, might conflict with that. Mm. And so we would agenda map and be like, so on the agenda is this first and then we can do this. And they might say, you know what? The first one's not important to me anymore. Fine. Move on. Well, well yeah, mm. we'll go to, go to point number two. Um, okay. I feel like there's, there's lots of other little points as a coach that I could get into, shall I? Or shall we do a summary? No, let's go for it. Okay. Um, setting boundaries is one thing that I think is really important as a coach, yes. because as a personal trainer, you might not have your clients try and contact you all the time because, you know, like, you know, 8am on a Tuesday morning is when you see your trainer and that's when you're going to talk to them. But as a coach, we have multiple platforms that you can contact your coach on. There might be um, the separate coaching platform. Maybe you have them on Instagram, you have their email, perhaps you have their phone number, and maybe you're blowing up all of their inboxes and you're not their only client. They also have friends and hobbies and their own training and life can get really overwhelming. Um, so it's not necessarily your job to figure out how much contact is enough. It's the coach's responsibility to set expectations and say, Hey, any questions you have, if you feel like they're not urgent, pop them in your feedback form. And when I do your check-in once a week, I'll answer them. If anything's urgent, you can X, I don't know, email me, text me, whatever it is that they prefer that you do. But it is important that coaches set boundaries because if coaches are too loose on their boundaries, then burnout is a, a huge risk. Um, I know some coaches that get up to pee at two o'clock in the morning and write back to emails like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. You tell your clients yeah. to prioritize sleep and you're like, all you're doing is encouraging the lack of boundaries here by doing those things. Mm. And I think it's critically important that you do that at the beginning. Oh yeah. Because otherwise you're setting yourself up for the opportunity for your client to feel like they had a fantastic service to begin with, mm. followed by a reduced service later on and they feel less important because you're giving them less of their time, despite the fact they probably were given too much to begin with. Yeah. So yeah, very clear um, boundaries on the amount of communication, the platform of communication, mm -hmm. um, and even the type of communication, like how we speak to each other. What do you mean? Uh, like whether or not banter is, you know, suitable mm -hmm. at certain times and not at other times or um, whether or not, you know, if the feedback eyes a coach is going to give is going to be quite straight for one week, don't take that personally. Like sometimes it just needs to be, this is what we're doing here, we're going with it, that kind of stuff. Okay. Setting up expectations around like, I right. suppose, how to interpret. Yeah, okay. So I talk to my clients on Instagram, but I talk to them as friends. Mm. We don't talk about any coaching stuff on Instagram. They'll send me memes. I'll send them memes back, like funny cat videos. Yeah. don't know, whatever, whatever it is. Heaps of stuff. The grandma for work. No. Um, and if they ask me a coaching question, not that I have a problem with replying to a work 
question online, but it just sets poor expectations for the future. I will never answer it. I'll be like, hey, that's a great question. Pop it in your feedback form. Mm -hmm. And it, because you teach people how to treat you. And so if you teach people that those things are okay, and then the next thing's okay, then the next thing's okay, then all of a sudden we have no boundaries. And this isn't about giving less to our clients. It's actually about preserving our own energy so that we have energy to give, not just today, but also tomorrow and a year from now and 10 years from now. Yeah. I don't know how coaches do it. In peak weeks when I've got multiple guys messaging me daily mm. for updates, my brain by the end of it's just like, boom. Fried. Fried. Yeah, but you only do that with your clients for like what two weeks out of a competition. Yeah, season. so I mean for like peak mm. week, like that one week beforehand, it's 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 next level, but um, it's alright. Yeah, it's kind of fun too, but it's not, but it is. Couldn't do it. My point is, couldn't do it fifty-two weeks of the year. Right. You know, it yeah. would absolutely fry. You. Do you set boundaries with your clients around peak week? Yeah, they know when when to contact me and how to contact me. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are your... Luckily for me, where we currently live, there's also a, a gap in the middle of the day. What do you mean where we live? We don't live anywhere. In the UK. Oh, okay. Or where, where we're currently staying. Oh, because our time zone is different to Australia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like from a, from a communication immediate response opportunity, it's not even possible because they might have a window from, say, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. To, to get me, and then I'm asleep, and that's their daytime. And then I wake up in the morning and that's their night time. So then we've got another two hour window there. So there's like two, two hour windows that we can kind of get all this done. This reminds me, flex coach, George, absolute fucking sweetheart lives in near London. Um, so on a very different time zone to his uh, clients who were competing in Australia, he reset his entire body clock. So he's up during <laughs> Australian hours. So his clients can contact him anytime during their working day. For the end of competition. Oh, not, not for all life. the time. Yeah. This was like for like two mm. weeks before comps or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it'd be four weeks out of the whole year. Mm -hmm. Isn't that sweet? Good we didn't, origin. we didn't tell him to. We didn't even, um, we didn't even hint it. No. He just did it. Now it's our expectation. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has set that expectation up for the next competition season for these current clients. Mm. So be careful what you do. I feel like it's like, your first anniversary buying all of these amazing gifts and mm. so like you're setting expectations for the next anniversary yep that's why i got you dog poo <laughs> what did we do for our first anniversary not a clue so it'll be our nine year anniversary in like eight weeks or something here yeah it's crazy yeah i'll be 36 damn Nearly. yeah because you you turn Hey, where should I go for my birthday? 36th birthday, what country? Drop, oh, okay. it, drop it in the comments below. Yeah, so we would have just finished up five or six weeks in Budapest yeah. in, um, in Hungary in the snow. So we're thinking somewhere warm. But, yeah, but we're either going to leave on the 2nd of January or the 9th of January. My birthday's on the 10th of January. Where shall we go? Mm. To celebrate the day that I came out of my mother's vagina. That is putrid. Um, okay. <laughs> Ignoring that. We'll give a quick summary. PTs, educators, consultants, and coaches. Within the coaching role, there may be elements of a PT, a consultant, and an educator. Mm -hmm. um, plus some actual coaching, helping people implement, um, you know, in some encouragement, some confidence boosting, whatever. But as a consultant, um, that role is quite limited to listen to someone's problems and help them figure out how to solve it. As an educator, you're educating somebody on a particular topic. It basically stops there. As a PT, a little bit more involved than just an educator, but still it is limited to physical exercise, usually just the 30-minute session or the one-hour session per week. Maybe they'll give their clients a training program to follow outside of that. Mm. Basically it. Um, yes, Dean. The cool thing about breaking this down very quickly at the summaries, I think it gives people the opportunity to think about like, what do I want to be? Mm. You know, because like you might be in the coaching space, but not actually like it and be better at being an educator. Am I expecting too much out of my insert here? Yeah. yeah. So like think about what each role is as the individual choosing it. If you want to be one of those practitioners and if you, you're not currently in the right one, just shift gears. Motherfucker. Yeah. I know a lot of people uh, that use the term coaching quite loosely and they don't have any experience. They don't have, uh, you know, they haven't done any education roles before. They haven't done any PT before. They've never done consults before. And they just jump straight into a coaching position that requires all of the above plus more. Mm. Maybe 
instead of running before you can crawl, start crawling. Yeah. Do some PT, do some consults, get some education. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some education. education. Yeah. It. Qualifications was mm -hmm. the word I was looking for. And then you can start to build on it from there. Okay. Less shit tip, Dean. Would you like to tell people one take-home message if they wanted to be less shit? Uh, mine would be the one that I actually just gave. Mm -hmm. And that would be determine which one of these roles you want to play the most and stick to it or shift to it. What about people who aren't practitioners listening? For like prospective like, clients? Yeah, clients. Um, think about what you require out of the individual that you're seeking information from. So do you need the back-to-back -back frequent in, uh, sorry, the, the, the frequent check-ins with the coach? Mm -hmm. Do you just want some information? Can you provide clear, concise uh, information to a consultant that you'll get the answers you're after? Or are you looking for somebody who specializes in exercise prescription? Like ask yourself what your end goal is and then seek the, the, the relevant professional. Okay. I like it. That's good. And if you don't know, probably do a consult with a coach and then help them help you. Not just someone that calls himself a coach. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dean. That was a good less shit tip. We are moving on now to the next segment, Hot to Topic. Hot to Topic, Hot to Topic. Hot to Topic, Hot to Topic. Hot to Topic, Hot to Topic. Topic, topic, topic. I always feel obliged to dance. But you don't. You just sat there like a lump. I no, danced. I did not. Yes, you did. There was a lot of movement. You didn't see Where was pecs. the movement? <laughs> no, I didn't actually do the, the tennis dance. <laughs> oh, man, I'm such a good singer. All right, hot topic. I believe, Dean, you have a hot topic for me today. Yeah. So this is something for new listeners. This is not something with a right or wrong answer, but rather a controversial topic within the fitness industry that we're going to give our opinion on. Mm. Need to think about how I want to word this to make it a clear question. You can just give me a topic and we can discuss it. It doesn't have to be a question. Yeah. So, like the topic at hand would be Do we think it's fair for individuals to have an opinion specifically on female bodybuilding competitors and how far they push their drugs and therefore masculinity to get on stage? Okay. So, do we think it's fair people have an opinion on that? Yeah. Or what is your opinion on women who push performance-enhancing drugs to a level whereby you may say that they become hyper-masculine? Okay, so these are two separate questions. What is my opinion? What is your opinion? And then we may end up delving into the other one. Okay. So with competitive bodybuilding listeners, um, there's lots of performance-enhancing drugs that go on at masculinize males which isn't a problem because hey good for you you get more masculine but females also get more masculine mm. um so how do i feel about it i think that people can do whatever the fuck they want i think that a lot of people go into it a bit blind and just want to do a bikini competition and really irresponsible people who call themselves coaches drug their females to the gills and girls end up being masculine without realizing that was going to be the consequence that's fucking wrong. That's nothing wrong that the competitor did necessarily. And there was a bit of naivete there. That's on the coach. Um, but if a female understands the consequences and she's like, hey, I don't really care that I'm going to get a bigger jaw and I'm going to get hairy and my voice is going to get deep. I really want to be the biggest, baddest bodybuilder I can be. Good for fucking you. You go, girl. Mm. That's what I think. What do you think? I don't want to make it simple and say I concur, but I concur. Okay. I think your body, your problem, or your body, your choice. Mm -hmm. um, I say your problem is that like, there's, there's going to be some repercussions to a female who drives up their androgen status to the point where they become otherwise... Biologically unquote, a male. Or, yeah, quote, unquote, like even culturally accepted as looking masculine. Mm -hmm. um, but provided, and that's the asterisk, provided they're aware of the consequences to a certain degree. I mean, if they're self-administering without a coach, then do whatever the fuck you want. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. no, because that's kind of like a person on the weekend taking party drugs without understanding what those chemicals do to their brain. Like, again, like if you want to party on the weekend and you're, you're also not uh, too perturbed by not understanding the, the, like the, the complications and the considerations. Is perturbed a word? Yeah. Perturbed. Yeah. I've never heard. Perturbation? 
don't know that word. Like, to be um, uh, perturbed by something. Yeah. I'm going to Google it. I, I've never heard it. Go on, Smarty. Perturbation slash masturbation. Masturbation? <laughs> no. Perturbation is like to be like, um, what would be the best way to, to be um, like, I want to say ruffled or like, that's probably not the right way to talk about it. Like, Anyways, that's right. I'll hmm. Google the word later. <laughs> um, if you're not bothered by those not knowing the consequences and you still do it, like it's still your choice. So like, I don't really care what people do. It's- I just think it's confronting for people to see a biological female stand on stage looking as if that they're closer to a biological male. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that uncomfortable feeling is the viewer's issue, not the person on stage. Yeah. The difference here between do whatever you want when it comes to drugs and something else like drink driving is the only Mm. person that can be harmed from this, hmm, am I going to eat my words, is the person doing it. Whereas someone who's drink driving, they can like run over a mum and her twins in a pram, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. You can can directly hurt other people as a drunk driver, Mm -hmm. as an over-drugged bodybuilder, your health shortening your life sure will potentially impact other people and maybe you know if your mum looks like your dad maybe that affects your kids at school like they Mm. might get picked on and bullied on there are other consequences to it yeah that's true but they're more indirect as I was saying it that's why I was saying I think I'm going to eat my words because I just thought of some examples like buzzing through my mind of that but I still think that they're separate it's less direct than drink driving yeah yeah, like you're behind the wheel you cause the actual pain as opposed to you know the children's who's friends pick on them that's the children's so where did this hot topic come from anywhere in particular or you just thought of it um it's i mean there's there's been people that have competed of many times across the years where females have been highlighted in social media uh and then made fun of um for looking masculine now there is there's one caveat i suppose like to try and be have a non-biased opinion is that the issue with a hyper masculine woman with a lot of muscle winning a show is that you're setting a standard and then an expectation that if you want to look this muscular, if you want to win a show, you have to look this that, muscular. Yeah, yeah, that you may then need to do these things, which is going to change your entire physical being for the rest of your life. Yeah, and then maybe and if you don't pressure. already have kids, you're not going to have any. Yeah, mm. and then there's this pressure of like, I don't want to compete when I'm 40. I'd rather compete when I'm 30. So now I need to do this when I'm 20. And like, the problem with drug use and comparing yourself to others that are doing well is that sometimes starts very young and then there's repercussions well beyond your competitive years that you may not have considered. Mm. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I stepped out of the coaching space of females because I didn't want, uh, for lack of a word or lack of a a better saying, blood on my hands Mm -hmm. in that my opinion has been whenever I've done consultations with females about potential drug use and I've explained the pros and cons of using androgens versus using non-androgens and maybe this is where you want to start and this is where you want to end most of those girls have just gone to the end because it's the easiest route of administration because like i'll grow muscle faster if i take more than what you say Mm. and although we've given them all of the scenarios that are possible i have also experienced the flip of that that then i've spoken to somebody 10 years down the track and they're like i fucked up for the last 10 years can i fix this and i'm like well no not really um, I don't want to be the coach that helped the person facilitate the change that they haven't considered 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, again, it's their choice, um, that's just something that I've found difficult to contend with, which is why I stepped out of the coaching female space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I think, that, I think women need more foresight into this and they need to take their decisions probably a little bit more seriously and think about the repercussions. But I also think if they've done that and then they end up like looking more masculine than intended, doesn't really matter. Mm. I wonder if though we're victim blaming a little bit here. I wonder if there's a lot of instances where women end up looking quite masculine and they're like, oh, fuck, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Everyone needs to take responsibility for their own shit, so fine. But I think we need to put a lot of that onto the coaches that are encouraging women to take this much drugs without something called informed consent, without telling them that these are not just the risks, but like, this is probably what's going to happen. So there's a lot of ownership to place on coaches of yesteryear mm. for the current drug use in females, because the education lacked in other avenues that they could take to still grow muscle. 
Yeah. And now we have a standard of female competitors that likely cannot be achieved without the use of these drugs. Mm. So we're essentially saying, if you want to compete on this level, then this is what you're doing. Mm. To the credit of maybe like professional body, but I don't think they did it to the benefit of females' health. I did think they did it just as a business decision. Like female bodybuilding has definitely been reduced in a lot of shows because they're saying like crowds aren't coming for that. But when you say reduced, you mean they're not putting on they're as not, many They're not shows? offering them, yeah. They're not offering them. So like the female bodybuilding Oh, that quantity, is not benevolent, I'm sure. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it was. I'm saying yeah. it's kind of good in that they're saying, hey, we'd prefer to have women's physique on stage, which are still hypermuscular but not hypermasculine. Yeah. We're not going to have women's bodybuilding. It's been done solely because of a money-making thing. Mm. It's not because they care about the health, but it's kind of like worked to the advantage of sustaining women's health women's yeah. health from a femininity perspective in uh, in regards to drug use so i'm going to flip your question on to you dean i think your original question was should people have opinions on that i think mm. that's what you said so i'm going to ask you do you think people should have opinions people are entitled to having an opinion i don't think that people should be publicly putting their opinions out there if those opinions are centered around negative talk about a woman looking like a man mm -hmm. and calling them any sort of name that is not one of support mm. because at the end of the day if that female has decided that that's what she wants to look like in order to achieve a particular goal or even feel a particular way because I bet you a female who's jacked up to the nines feels fucking awesome I bet she does um like Okay. No, and then the flip of this, the, the, the potential problem here is, is that let's just say that individual, and this is for a man too in bodybuilding, has decided to take drugs despite the fact that maybe their mental health wasn't great because they're trying to, you know, grow on some confidence that they otherwise haven't had. And then they're made fun of it for it. You are potentially exacerbating a problem mm. as well. And people need to remember that, you know, what you see on the outside is not necessarily what the internal dialogue is. Yeah. So people, okay. I would answer the question similarly. God, what a word. Um, but I would say everyone has an opinion. Opinions mm. are like assholes. You just don't need to show them to everyone. Because unless it's constructive, you know, if it's constructive criticism about like, you know, how we should encourage coaches to go through informed consent with their clients, something like that, fine. But if it's like, oh my God, she looks like a man, like, fuck you. That's really mean. Mm. And Maybe you think that. Maybe she thinks she's attractive. Maybe other people think she's attractive. Maybe everyone thinks she's a man. But is that constructive? No, that's actually just bullying. It's mm. nothing more than bullying. And it's just so mean. Imagine like some under-muscled kid with no confidence and you're like, oh, you look like a girl. You have no muscle. Or like someone who's that's overweight. That's what most of the bodybuilders are that I know now. What do you mean? They were probably the boy who said he looked like a girl, so he jacked himself up. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe these women were raped or maybe they were in a position where they felt vulnerable and little, and this mm. is their way to feel powerful. And you're calling them a man. Like, fuck you. It's so mm. mean. Mm. It's so mean. Yeah. It's just not helpful. It achieves nothing. No. So good hot topic, Dean. You mean hot to topic. Hot to topic. That is what I mean. <laughs> hot to topic. Hot. I was just mind. Cause obviously the hot to topic song is uh, a better spin on the hot potato song. Mm. I was blown away that that is apparently not a global phenomenon. That is an Australian song by the Wiggles that is not known in any other country. People in the UK didn't even know who the Wiggles were. Yeah. I thought they were. I thought they were, I thought they were global. popular as God. <laughs> okay. Like if there was Jesus and the Wiggles, I'm going to say everybody knows who the Wiggles are. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought the same, but I did. Hmm. Dean, would you rather? Oh, shit. Here we go. I die first or you die first? Can I give two answers? Mm, if they're short. My short selfish answer is I'd rather die first. Okay. Because then I don't have to worry about the heartache of you dying. Okay. Oh, that's sweet to hear that you'd care. Um, the flip of it is, is that I'd rather you die first so I can have another crack at life. Okay. <laughs> With another person, like, you know. Okay. Just because it'd be interesting. Okay. So I'd rather... Aren't they opposing... <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, thanks. That's really okay, no, if you just had to choose the one, truth, what would you my choose? truth is that I would rather die first. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if we're dying of an age where we start to become a little bit more incapacitated in our physical and mental abilities. Mm -hmm. I would rather die with dementia than have you have dementia and me look after you until you die, and then I'm left on my own. 
Okay, fair enough. What if we what if we died in five years from now? So we're still young. Who's going, me or you? Hmm. We both have a lot of life to live. I No, I don't know why my head went there, yeah. but I was going to say, I would rather you, I'd rather me die first because I think you would give more to the world for the next 40 years than what I would. I'd agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather die first though, because I think you wouldn't be that sad. That's not fucking true. Well, I think it is, but that's fine. I'd it's, move just, on faster than you. Yeah, you would. But I wouldn't not be sad. They're two, <laughs> they're two very different things. Okay. The reason I would rather die first is I think you would have an easier time getting over it mm. and you would like much more quickly just move on with your life. I would have a harder time if you died first. I think you would probably shift into a whole nother life mm-hmm. if I died first, which could kind of be cool. Um, I don't know what I'd do. Hey. I think I would just do the exact same thing with my head buried in the sand until I felt like I didn't want to cry. You'd anymore. just become an Instagram slut. You'd, everyone would slide into your DMs and you'd be like, yeah, bro, come, not bro, you wouldn't call girls bro. Yeah, babe, come over. I would call them bro because most of the people <laughs> that slide into my DMs are men. You should. You should like. I might do muscle worship. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm not discouraging. I quantity. I'm not around. It's not cheating. I'm going to cut down my client quantity, mm-hmm. become a consult so I don't have to talk to people on a daily basis and just send dick pics to men. <laughs> <laughs> Dean does spend his days looking at pictures of men in their undies, videos personal videos of men in their undies if that's not the gayest thing i've ever heard i don't know how i haven't seen butthole yet i'll tell me you haven't seen butthole. i've never seen butthole i've never seen a loose penis i've never seen an escaped testicle really yeah my guys are awesome why is the escaped testicle so funny you know even (laughs) i'm gonna think about that all day maybe it's because (laughs) i I coach dudes that are on gear so the the testicles can't escape because they're all atrophied (laughs) but um in the very beginning of our coaching, this maybe this is why. Like I've said, you know, you, you say like as you become a more advanced coach over time, like your clients start to like bias towards your preferences. Okay. You know, like you can actually become a worse coach because you end up just coaching the same kind of client over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't get clients with really bad underwear, and I think it's because at the very beginning of my coaching, I had a note that said like it actually said men do not wear grey underwear, women do not wear g strings. Like it had all of these specifics about like what I did not want to see. <laughs> You know, and now I think maybe the word's gotten out. Don't wear grey undies with Dean. Dean doesn't want to see the shape of your cock no, or no, your no. butt. Fuck, man. Like grey undies are the worst. But you have clients send you videos of them posing without undies on, like from the back, right? So you can see. I, I will get an, I will for sure get a, um, a, a walnut shot, as we would call it, in the self, a selfie And there's walnut. never been a butthole. No, because in order to get the walnut, you have to do full hip extension, which closes the cheeks. Okay. If they did the bikini pose, yeah, yeah, hundred percent butthole. You can see butthole even on stage. Jesus yeah. Christ, pretty yeah. much. On yeah. that note, make sure you wipe. I. <laughs> That's where we're going to end. I can't think of a better ending than that. Make sure you wipe. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye. 